healthcare to me feels like a disgusting job of the hut. And I use healthcare one word, healthcare. That's the system, right? You've heard the whispers, the rumors of discontent, labyrinth of red tape designed to baffle and bewilder. That's the beast. Healthcare is a big job of the hut beast. And it's like Job of the Hut, but like with little octopus arms going underneath, like the witch and the little mermaid. Like, so picture each of those arms is like sucking away like your wages because healthcare is costing more. But what if I told you it's worse, far worse than you've been led to believe? Who really profits from this convoluted mess? Is it the patients, the very souls the system is supposed to protect? Now 70% of physicians are owned by an outside entity. Or is it the insurance vultures, the third-party puppeteers who seem to hold all the power? And in some cases, physicians are owned even by insurance companies. You know, you can exert pressure in a way that someone who's small can't exert pressure. We're standing on the edge of a precipice, a crisis that's been festering in the heart of our great nation. This is hostage-taking. This is absolutely ridiculous. Hello, friends. James here. And we're standing on the edge of a precipice tonight, staring into the abyss of a crisis that's been festering in the heart of our great nation. It's a crisis that's been hidden in plain sight. It's been wrapped in bureaucracy. It's a crisis that's been sold to us as just the way things are. We're talking about the giant that is the American healthcare system. You've heard the whispers, the rumors of discontent, the colossal corporations, the costs that are not just climbing, but skyrocketing. The labyrinth of red tape designed to baffle and bewilder. But what if I told you it's worse? far worse than you've been led to believe. We're not just tackling the size of these healthcare titans today. Although that is a beast in itself, we're trying to shine a light, a spotlight on a system so twisted, so opaque, that even those within its belly struggle to find their way. Hidden costs, secret practices, a blackout on transparency that leaves patients and physicians stumbling in the dark. And let's not forget the puppet masters pulling the strings, the insurance companies. Who really profits from this convoluted mess? Is it the patients, the very souls the system is supposed to protect? Or is it the insurance vultures, the third-party puppeteers who seem to hold all the power. So I'm not just exposing the rot with my guests today. We're hunting for the cure. We're asking the questions that make the power players squirm, the ones that they pray that we'll never ask. And to help us in this crusade, we have a warrior in our midst, Dr. Marion Mass, a pediatrician from the Philadelphia suburbs. She's not just a healer. She's a champion, a champion for patients, for physicians, for truth and justice. She's here to share her battle scars, her wisdom, and her vision for a healthcare revolution. So strap in America, this is gonna be a wild ride, but it's a journey that we must embark on because the very soul of our nation depends on it. My guest, Dr. Marion Mass. 
Hi, Dr. Marion. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here. I'm laughing. So, You're saying warrior. Your warrior is here in like sweaty clothes post-workout. I guess <laughs> that's a different kind of warrior. I just did boot camp to stay, stay up, right? So, Dr. Mass, you've been outspoken about big being bad in healthcare. Can you break down for us why these Goliaths in the American medical system, why they're such a problem? Well, and keep in mind, there's a variety of Goliaths, okay? You know, it's no secret to anyone who's listening, you know, you've been paying more and getting less year after year. So the money's going somewhere, right? And it's very frustrating because, you know, if, if you take a look at wages, you know, the, the amount that you're spending on healthcare, it's sucking away your wages. So, you know, I've had people just say to me, I think about, think about one particular nurse that I worked with and she's like, Marianne, I love what you're doing because as it stands now, with the amount that we keep on paying into healthcare, we'll never get ahead. Very sad, you know. During the time that the cost of healthcare has gone up, you know, when I, I was writing these articles about like, hey, we need to make healthcare transparent. We need to, um, you know, cut out, cut the glut of healthcare. When I started writing these words in 2018, healthcare was, I think, a $3.2 trillion system. And now it's a $4.2 trillion system. Whatever they're doing is not helping. And all during that time, we've watched multiple industries in healthcare become bigger. The hospitals are becoming bigger. The insurance companies are becoming bigger. I mean, oh my goodness, it's, we almost really have single payer because we have Medicare. Medicare sets the, in a way they fix the prices for what providers, hospitals and doctors are reimbursed. And then the BUCAs, I call them, Blue Cross, United, Cigna. Uh, Humana, Aetna, the Bukas, um, they come along and they they base what they're going to pay the providers based on Medicare. So in a way, it's it's almost single payer, right? Yeah. So the Bukas have become bigger because big insurance is pretty much like, you know, running the show there. And then the Bukas themselves have bought up the people that run the prescription drugs. We call those people the PBMs, the pharmacy benefit managers. Yeah. Three of them, three companies run 85% of the drugs that you get by prescription. Hmm. And then the hospitals have certainly gotten bigger. I mean, how, like every person in America, just think about the hospitals in your region. I mean, they, they just continually buy hmm. other hospitals. They're yeah. merging together. And then the hospitals themselves are buying physician practices. It used to be that like doctors were independent entities that worked for their patients. Now 70% of physicians are owned by an outside entity. And in some cases, um, physicians are owned even by insurance companies. You know, United owns Optum, which owns a PBM, but Optum also owns the practices of more physicians than any other company in America. That's really scary. So in addition to becoming bigger by, um, you know, we call it uh, horizontal integration, we're becoming bigger vertically. So everyone's up in everyone's business in healthcare. And when you're big, you know, you can exert pressure in a way that someone who's small can't exert pressure. Yeah. So could you give us some, maybe some hard hitting examples um, mm -hmm. where the size of healthcare yeah. corporations have sabotaged patient care? Absolutely. I have a friend, Chris Cook. He's an anesthesiologist in mm -hmm. Texas. Super guy. Chris comes to DC with me and advocates and he's got two young children and, and he's another warrior out there. 
you know, Chris just put up a letter that uh, I think he had received or someone had received. United Healthcare recently notified participating physicians of a change in reimbursement happening in 2023. United Healthcare is going to come along and cut your reimbursement. And it says in bold on here, this change will be affected through a unilateral amendment, which does not require the practice's acceptance or acknowledgement. So in other words, we're just going to cut your costs. We're going to cut what we pay you. And we're not going to we're not going to bother to ask your consent. There's no negotiation here. This is hostage taking. Mm-hmm. This is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, take a look at the cost of insulin. You know, for years we've had insulin. Um, you know, insulin costs about $10 for a little mile to make. And, you know, the patients that require insulin to maintain their life, I mean, they'll die without it. And some of them have because they rationed it. It's very sad. But insulin has been made by three large companies. Um, Lily, Santa Fe, and I'm forgetting the third company that makes insulin. I'm sorry, too many names in my head here. But these are like brand name companies that make most of the insulin that America uses. And because they're big companies, and we can explain later in the show how they, um, you know, corralled a near monopoly on, on this insulin, you know, because they're big companies, they are part of the process that helps set the cost of insulin. Now, they're actually the smaller portion of the cost because those big three PBMs that I mentioned that control 85% of the prescription drugs, including insulin, the PBMs for years have been making about 80% of the cost of those little $10 vials of insulin. So $10 is getting, you know, go ahead. Sorry. No, you're fine. Sorry, I was interrupting you. The, the PBMs, the, the, what they manage the... the, the, the Pres- prescription how the, drugs. How the pharmacies are able to pay for or cover the prescriptions? Fill, fill that in for me. <laughs> oh, my friend. Those PBMs, they manage everything. Uh-huh. You know, like if you, if you want to consider like healthcare, healthcare to me feels like a disgusting job of the hut. And I use healthcare one word, healthcare. That's the system, right? That's the beast. Healthcare is a big job of the hut beast. And it's like job of the hut, but like with little octopus arms going underneath like the witch and the little mermaid. Like, so picture each of those arms is like sucking away like your wages because healthcare is costing more. It's, you know, 4.2 trillion. And if you want to consider the PBMs, they're like six arms on the octopus. They're like six arms on the bottom of job of the hut. So, so if you get PBMs, a prescription filled and, and your insurance is paying for it, that PBM is somewhere in there managing how that is. Well, let's just say that you have uh, United Healthcare, right? Mm-hmm. So United mm-hmm. Healthcare is going to say, oh, your PBM is Optum because United owns OptumRx, the okay. PBM, right? Okay, One of the I big see. three, right? I see. Already a big problem, a big conflict. Optum gets to decide what specific drugs go on the formulary. So they can decide by brand. And like, shockingly, uh, Optum and every other PBM in the country is allowed to accept a kickback from the manufacturers, but they don't go to jail like everyone else goes to jail for kickbacks. Hmm. You know, so they have a get out of jail free card for accepting kickbacks. They have an exemption from the anti-kickback statutes. So what happens in the system of pharmaceuticals with respect to how the formulary is made, the manufacturer can pay the PBM. The PBM can put the product, it's like it's for sale to get yourself onto the formulary. The formulary is the list of drugs that are covered. You pay to play. You pay to get your drug onto the formulary. And the kickback is usually a percentage of the cost of the drug. So you make the drug more expensive and the PBMs are going to collect a bigger kickback, except now that the insurance companies are 
own are owning the PBMs, then the insurance companies are actually collecting the money that they're paying the PBMs to pay for the drug. You get it? Like it's like money laundering, really. Yeah. You know, and then the P in addition, these PBMs also have the ability to decide how much they're paying their pharmacies, right? Now, if I tell you that one of the PBMs is CVS Caremark, can you guess another big conflict of interest that the PBM CVS Caremark has if they can decide how much money a pharmacy gets paid? What are you going to do if you're CVS? Well, they're going to pay. They're going to pay themselves a whole lot. And and I do notice that CVS is a little bit pricier. I think in terms of prescriptions, at least when I've gone, maybe it's just my prescription. But well, CVS can pay CVS. CVS Caremark can yeah. take the money that they get from Aetna because CVS and Aetna are owned by each other, right? Yeah, they're all part of the CVS empire. So CVS can take the money that they get from Aetna, like, you know, and then they can pay the CVS pharmacy. If you get your medications there, they can pay them what they choose and no one can see that. It's hidden. But then they can pay mom and pop pharmacy. They could pay them a smaller amount. And there's pharmacists around the country. If you look up independent pharmacists, there's some great independent pharmacy networks. Um, there's some great podcasts that go on about independent pharmacies. But the mom and pops are saying, I'm getting driven out of business because old Aetna over there is paying me pennies for this little prescription. I'm losing money to give this prescription to my patients. And then mom and pop pharmacy gets the letter from CBS with that little disgusting robotic heart. You know, it's kind of sick, really. It doesn't look like a real heart, does it? There is no real heart there. But uh, in any case, they get the letter from CBS. Hey, would you like to sell out your pharmacy? And then we're going to get another robotic heart on the, on the corner. And then we have a growing empire. Job of the hut grows bigger. Slurp more money out of American pockets. It's terrible. So you're, you're on the front lines, both in patient care and in advocacy. Um, mm -hmm. you, you mentioned the hidden shadows in healthcare. What are some of the most startling under the radar aspects that you've come across? Uh, startling. So I already mentioned the kickbacks. That yeah. to me just blew me away. Yeah. Wait a second. Pe people have special rules for themselves. So uh, another startling thing that you know people don't don't think about or realize. And I don't mean to imply that every single hospital is like a terrible hospital. Okay, I won't say that. I, I actually work for a large hospital system in the Philadelphia area. I'm not going to name it out because I don't speak for them. And, you know, I, I, I think some hospitals are more into the business of hiding their prices than others. And there was a recent Senate hearing about transparency and uh, the consolidation that's going on. And then there was a CEO of a hospital in Colorado. I forget the name of the hospital, but it looked like they were really working in their community um, to be a, port, a portion of the community, to be a part of the solution. Instead of being a part of the problem, they were a very transparent hospital. Hospitals like that should serve as a model. You know, they should be, um, you know, in a way, like the old model of the hospital was you had a community hospital that, uh, you know, they gave a lot of charitable care out to hospitals, et cetera, or out to the, the patients that were in the area. And, you know, we go on good faith that large hospital systems 
you know, our, our government gives them the ability to be pretty much tax-free entities. They own large swaths of property and there's a lot of taxes that they don't pay that other businesses pay. But I, I would call everyone's attention and maybe somehow you can tweet this out when you do this podcast and post it. But the American Enterprise Institute um, has a graph of the rising cost of hospital care. And mind you, hospital care uh, makes up about 31% of the $4.2 trillion that we spend. Um, in some years, it's been 37%. But if you look at the graph of the rising costs, like we can see the rising cost of food and we see the rising cost of housing, and we even see the rising cost of college tuition. We just got two kids through college, one more to go. <laughs> and we're acutely aware of that. But outpaces college tuition. It's astounding, the rising cost of hospital care. And the fact that the amount that you are going to pay when you go to a hospital, that you don't know it ahead of time, like you do in other settings, it's astounding. It's like, it's like you would go into a restaurant and, um, okay, I'm going to order the steak, but maybe I'll get the lobster, but the prices aren't on the menu. Mm -hmm. And then the bill comes later and they, you know, well, that's $150 steak right there. Mm -hmm. And you had no idea leading into it. Yeah. So um, the cost that you were going to pay up front in a hospital is often hidden until the bill comes and yeah. people started paying attention to their bills. So, uh I mean, the hospitals work that out with the insurance company and everyone points at everyone else and says, oh, well, you know, like we're allowed to keep this hidden because these are our business negotiations. Ridiculous. So and now, of course, there's yeah, there's uh, there was an executive order uh, that was put forth in 2019 by the Trump administration that, you know, the hospitals and the insurance companies had to come clean. And it's what you what hospitals and insurance companies had to do was they had to give you the EOB before you even got sick so that people could start shopping around. I mean, imagine that. Now, of course, you know, if all of a sudden you get a shooting pain in your right side and there's only one hospital in town, you know, you need your appendectomy and there's, there's little you can do about it. They understand that. But if hospitals around the country start offering their numbers and then you're getting things down to the lowest dollar cost for the patients, then you might be able to put pressure even on a big monopolized hospital. Um, the Biden administration doubled down on that Trump rule and made the penalties even more. And uh, now we're up to about 25% of hospitals, according to a group called Patient Rights Advocate that's been at the forefront. They're like they're warriors in this battle uh, and power to the patients. Those two groups work together and are pushing. And, and I think, I hate to use the word shame, but I think they're shaming hospitals into publishing their prices. And, you know, this is great that it's executive order, but that's not nearly as powerful as a congressional law. And so now um, the uh, Energy and Commerce Committee, one of the recent pieces that I wrote, I think it's the pinned piece on my, my Twitter account right now. I'll check and see if I'm telling you the truth here. So I believe I am. Yes, um, this, uh, this bill could shine a light into the dark recesses of U.S. healthcare. That wasn't my choice of title. The editors picked that. But um, I think I had dark and putrid somewhere in the title. They took out putrid. But <laughs> so in any case, this points out that um, there was a bill that passed unanimously and bipartisanly out of the Energy and Commerce uh, Committee 
And I'm going to give a big shout out to Kathy McMorris Rogers of Washington. She's the chairwoman of that committee. She and I have had many a conversation about this. She's been so supportive of transparency. Um, it's funny. I was actually working out one day and she just cold called me and we talked about this issue. It was about three years ago, maybe four. I don't know. And, you know, at that point, she wasn't the chair of the committee. But since she's been chair, boy, she's come out and she's really pushed this committee. Her leadership has been astounding. But it's it's not that she's leading in a partisan manner. She has Democrat Frank Pallone of New Jersey who's the ranking member on this committee, and they were the two heads on this bill. And it's not only pushing on the transparency of the hospitals, but on, on the PBMs, and it's pushing on another kind of transparency, transparency of ownership. You know, when I mentioned that physicians were largely owned by hospitals, were also owned sometimes by insurance companies like um, United Healthcare, as I mentioned, because Optum owns physicians and United owns Optum. And uh, physicians are now increasingly getting bought out by private equity groups. And, you know, when, when you have monopolies and you have people that are in the business of healthcare, one word, the, the business of it, mm-hmm. they're able to exert forces on the patient to make things more expensive because, you know, that Optum is going to want their part of the cut if they own the physician practices. Hospitals are going to want their cut. Uh, the private equity is going to want their cut, and then everyone is paying more, and yeah. the doctor is getting less. I mean, I'm not advocating you no know, pay the, all the doctors more, but the doctors are getting cut too. Oh. So it's you know, it's so. And then, I, I went yeah. to the hospital one time, and um, I think I got IV fluids, and the bill was like twelve hundred dollars for a bag of saline, and I thought that was just absolutely crazy. You know, maybe that's normal, but I just thought that was just. Oh, no, <laughs> it's it's completely preposterous. And I'm glad you brought up saline. You could look up the hundred dollar aspirin and see that when you get your hospital bill and we should all as patients, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not even like the kind of girl that pays attention to financial things like I, I, I went to Penn State and I was in the honors college and I opted out of my econ classes and I took all the classics and studied in Greece because <laughs> I, I could do that with the honors college. So like, I'm not the girl that has the deep knowledge of economics, but like what I do have in terms of economics is the common sense of thinking to myself, if I'm paying, I better be paying attention to where the money is going. So let's talk about that bag of saline, which once again, like the, the, like the vial of insulin, that bag of saline costs about 10 bucks to make. But there's been charges like yours, you know, $1,200 for that bag of saline, $700 for that bag of saline. And if hospitals are charging that much, what's really, really shocking is finding out that that saline is in shortage. And there's one company that was supplying most of America with its saline, Baxter in Puerto Rico. And when Hurricane Maria came along in 2018, bad timing, I mean, not that you can help a hurricane. Um, when Hurricane Maria came along and like shuttered the Baxter plant, that became a big problem in America because we had a major shortage of normal saline. Everyone should have been asking the question, wait a second, if some hospitals are getting $1,200 for the bag of saline or $700 for the bag of saline, why isn't there like 20 companies making the saline? Why is there only one, this Baxter down in Puerto Rico? Really good question, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, take cost $10 to make water, salt, plastic. I mean, it's, it's a convoluted process and you have to keep it sterile. Uh-huh. 
But um, now we're going to get into the problem of drug shortage, because when you have shortages of drugs or solutions like saline, if a product is in shortage or there's only one or two companies making a product like the insulin, like the saline, what do you think the company's going to charge more. more or less? Of course, you know, supply and demand. So how did we get to a point where um, there is uh, one company that's making most of the injectable epinephrine, Mylan that makes, you know, the EpiPen, right? Or Baxter that makes the saline. Well, there's another whole completely hidden group of middlemen in America. These are the group purchasing organizations. And when I was last down in DC, um, one of the things that I pushed on to lawmakers that I meet with, and I try to meet across the aisle, and I often do, is like, hey, you guys are all like getting on the PBMs now, the outpatient pharmaceutical meds, but you've got to really look at these problems of these group purchasing organizations, GPOs. These guys are the middlemen that write the contracts of what supplies get into hospitals, specific supplies like the masks that we needed during COVID, like uh, chemotherapeutics that ca cancer patients need, like the saline, like the insulin. They guide the, the um, distribution of these products to get into the hospitals. They're not actually doing the distribution. And much like the PBMs, they don't make any product. They don't do any research. They simply write the contracts like a bunch of bookies. And just like the PBMs, these group purchasing organizations have the right to receive kickbacks. So how did Baxter get that you know, contract to be the only company making the saline for the United States? Well, I would guess that Baxter got it because they pay the GPO enough money that they become the only product that that's mm. on the market in most hospitals and nursing homes. And then we get a brittle supply chain. And if you take a look, you'll notice that it's been decades, about two of them, a little bit more, that we've had problems in America with shortages of drugs, uh, solutions, medications, even things like masks. We all saw it during the pandemic. I wrote an article called uh, COVID, The COVID Pandemic Unmasks the GPOs. No one knew. No, I, lots of people still don't. So if you were in charge, what top three changes would you implement to pull back the curtain on, on, on healthcare and how it's set up now? Oh, so like what I say, it's my quippy little way of saying things is uh, in, in terms of fixing things in healthcare, open the books, cut the glut, and make everybody play by the same rules. If we did those three things across the board, um, we could really help healthcare become more accessible and less expensive. I truly believe that. Now let's talk about those three and break them down. Open the books. You have to look where the money's going. We can't have the situation where the PBMs and the GPOs are saying, oh, we don't have to show our kickback contracts. Actually, the HHS OIG, Office of Inspector General, has every right to be able to ask to see the specific kickback contracts. And personally, because our U.S. Congress and HHS gave PBMs and GPOs the right to receive kickbacks, they've created these big, large, wealthy companies, you know, the three PBMs, like I mentioned, controlling 85% of prescriptions. Um, and actually, the it's now like two or three GPOs. I lose track because these people are always merging and changing their names. I believe it's like two or three right now. 
Um, and those GPOs control about 90% of the supplies that go into hospitals. Think about that. In some hospitals, the supplies are 40% of the overhead. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just got over telling me you paid $1,200 for a bag of saline. Gosh, I wonder why. <laughs> um, but if, if, we, if we open the books on what they're paying in terms of these kickbacks, that's a help. If we open the books on what insurance companies are uh, paying various hospitals and make sure that it's sort of fair across the board, if we open the books on making sure that um, the, the flow of money from PBMs to pharmacies is fair and equitable and we're not driving people out of business and creating new monopolies, that is all a real help. If we have some transparency of ownership like they're asking for in this HR 3561 and the other kind of transparency, and this is really important to me, we wrote about this in our free to care position paper first in 2019. You know, one day I was like sitting around and I was thinking like, what's really terrible is we can't see these conflicts of interest in here. You know, like as a physician, there's something called the Physician Sunshine Database. You can go look it up on uh, the Center for Centers for Medicare and Medicaid site. You can look up what Dr. Marion Mass receives in monies from device companies and pharmaceutical companies. What's that? Now, what's I'm not called? complaining about that. What was that called? Uh, you look up Physician Sunshine. Sunshine Database. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's like sunshine. So in other words, like, and they did this for good reason. Like, you don't want a physician that's prescribing one drug and then they're taking money from the pharmaceutical company. I mean, because it could be the pharmaceutical company pays the doctor to give lectures. And then the doctor is prescribing that drug, but the drug's not really working for the patient. You know, it's a great, like, great little database there. But, you know, I, I take a look and there's, um, there's anchors on CNN, Sanjay Gupta. This was written about in Matt Stoller's blog. Um, he wrote about how Sanjay Gupta on CNN, uh, a physician, is paid to give lectures by those group purchasing organizations. You know, I'm like, wow. I mean, so he's able to guide the news. Shouldn't that be like common knowledge? I mean, there's there's whole heads of hospitals. The president of Johns Hopkins University, I believe it's still Kevin Sowers. Kevin is a nurse. And Kevin came to Johns Hopkins and he was on the board of one of those big GPOs before he got there. And then all of a sudden he turned all of Hopkins over to that big GPO, Busyet. And in the press, he claimed he didn't take any money for his boardsmanship, but I think someone should dig a little bit deeper uh-huh. or they should ask me if I have any pieces of paper like documenting um, what Kevin gets paid by busy in because I just might have those, uh-huh. you know, it, it's wild. So you have hospital CEOs that might have some um, uh, ability to be able to pick which GPOs they're using and they're on the board of the GPOs. Uh-huh. I mean, that, that's really shady. Yeah. And then I, I take a look at like, you know, my goodness. These large uh, companies that, you know, newspapers, they're often having these like healthcare uh, debates or town halls or whatever you would call them. Like, I mean, I see it all the time. The Hill does this, Politico does this. And I understand like when they're having these, these um, sessions, you know, they need to get some sponsorship money. But go look at who sponsors some of these sessions. You know, you pull it up and it's like there's CVS and there's Aetna. And there's a big pharmaceutical company. So they're talking about the t- cost of drugs and, you know, sponsored by blankety blank. The AARP sponsors a lot of this stuff. And, you know, mind you, the AARP, they don't make money from their membership mostly. 
they make more than three times the amount of money per membership they make in getting the royalties from United Healthcare and selling Medicare Advantage plans. I mean, I don't understand why anyone listens to the AARP when they say anything about medicine because they have an enormous conflict of interest. Well, the same the sense. same goes with, I mean, a half a dozen other organizations, the AHA, American Heart Association, uh, American Dietetic Association. They they all have extensive conflicts of interest. Like the dietetic, mm-hmm. I was studying dietetics in university for a couple of years, and they were teaching us to cook with Crisco and pastries and stuff like that. Anyway, they, they the emails were released <laughs> that they actually hold, American Dietetic Association holds stocks in Coca-Cola. It doesn't make any sense. Oh, that's just so bad. No, yeah. well, no, it does make sense. It makes perfect sense. Well, I mean, but, you know, like, look, the, the ag department has nutrition under its jurisdiction. That's an this, enormous This gets into my next question, and it's my, my last two questions, and it's the murky waters of healthcare incentives. So that speaks to what we're talking about with that. How are they currently skewed, and why is, why is this a ticking time bomb? Well, look at all those incentives that I just mentioned to you, right? You know, like, so the, the, the perverse incentives of the, I mean, I hate to say it, I mean, but like the newspaper industry, like I, I, I'd like all those guys to come clean. There's some great newspapers and some great opinion pieces written and so on and so forth. But are newspapers uh, influenced by money that they might be get when they, they might get when they run um, events, like I've mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, are uh, the perverse incentives that that happen to get a more expensive drug onto a formulary or into a hospital. Like, are we incentivized to pick really expensive drugs? And ask the question too, are, are you perversely incentivized to do procedures? Of course you are. You know, like, you know, you collect um, what you collect for doing a procedure is, is, you know, more money than not doing a procedure and procedures need to happen in some cases, right? You know, like if you have a a flaming appendix, you may need to have that appendix taken out. You know, are we perversely incentivized to give medications to people? I mean, I'll use as an example and I'm, I'm not, um, oh, I'll I'll give you a great example because we, a lot of people saw it during the COVID debate and I'm not, I'm a pediatric doctor. So when my patients got COVID, I didn't recommend any medications for my patients. I recommended uh, that they uh, stay hydrated. They treat the fevers to keep their kids comfortable. You know, they stay away from others while they were still having fevers. But I didn't, you know, I said maybe like take some, uh, get out in the sunshine a little, a little bit of vitamin D, um, take some vitamin C. And and I, I do have like a little concoction that I suggest to people. I do it myself. I, I make ginger and turmeric tea with a little pinch of pepper in there. And uh, some lemon. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe that's a little bit of an anti-inflammatory. It's certainly not going to hurt you, right? Mm-hmm. But in the adult world, when patients were hospitalized, uh, one of the medications and, uh, that w- was used was remdesivir. That did a lot of damage. Remdesivir. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not going to say that I know that. I'll let someone else speak for that. But what I will say is that remdesivir is an IV drug. And I believe it's a five-day course of therapy. So the hospitals were incentivized to want to give remdesivir because patients had to get hospitalized for it, right? And the uh, remdesivir itself, at one point, I believe CMS gave hospitals an upticked payment for remdesivir. 
So they were twice incentivized. Mm -hmm. And that counted until I think the emergency, the COVID emergency was removed. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other issue with remdesivir is it's an expensive drug. So those purchasing organizations that put the remdesivir, they write the contracts to get the remdesivir into the hospital, those group purchasing organizations who can receive a kickback from the maker of remdesivir, Gilead, those purchasing organizations are perversely incentivized to want remdesivir. And if you go look up Vizient, B-I-Z-I-E-N-T, one of the big GPOs, and remdesivir, you'll find that Vizient announced remdesivir became the number one spend drug for their hospitals. There's like, I think, 3,000 Vizient hospitals that use Vizient as their GPOs. It became the number one spend drug in America for Vizient hospitals. We spent $1 billion just in those 3,000 hospitals on remdesivir. Well, how curious is that, right? Because like remdesivir is also a drug that early on they changed the, the endpoint in the study, which is a big no-no. And the second little thing that's a little shaky with remdesivir is the World Health Organization came out and said, this stuff doesn't appear to, uh, to help when you have COVID. Now, there can be battles and debates over that, but... Look at the perverse incentives here. Terrible. Yeah. Um, I, I think that there is a there is a creator online, Alex Stein. He works for the Blaze. I think his his mom uh, died after she was given remdesivir uh, for COVID, and he talk he talks about it, and he doesn't he he's not sad, but it it's um it, it's it's part of his story, and I've seen it a couple in, in some content that he makes. I'm curious about about had, health. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. What? No, I was going to say, I've had other patients tell me the same thing. I do think it's hard to know. And the reason it's hard to know is because there's no denying there were a lot of patients, mostly elderly patients. And I'm not, I'm not saying that like the elderly don't count. They do. I mean, I loved my parents when, when they were around and, you know, honored my parents. But there were a lot of patients that were very sick with COVID. So if you take a sick patient and you throw a medication at them... Okay. It is, the, is it the fault of the medication or the disease? It is yeah. going, it, it would have to be looked at one-on-one. Yeah, that's fair. But I mean, I think the bigger question of, is that medication helping? Yeah. Health insurance, you mentioned this in our messages. Can you unpack why you see it as an obstructive third-party middleman? Yes, I don't even call it health insurance. And I actually, I want to get back to the whole idea like those, these three terms that um, we throw out and we should really, I should have done this at the beginning, I suppose. Healthcare, H, with one word, is like the big entity, the beast, the job of the hot beast, right? Yeah. Healthcare, two words, are the things that you can do for your own health. I mean, your own healthcare could be your yoga. It could be your uh, turmeric tea that you're drinking. It could be uh, you going and talking to a, a dietitian about like, you know, improving your, your diet. It, it could be a lot of things. I want to separate healthcare from medical care because medical care is needed in some cases. If you're, you know, deoxygenating and you have COVID, you need medical care. You know, if you have cancer and, you know, you, you're, you've got cancer, breast cancer, you need medical care, right? But when we talk about insurance companies, there's a lot of things that insurance companies do that I, I think the model is so skewed. Um, Why are we allowing insurance companies to be a part of the equation when we go to visit our doctor? uh, We take our child to the doctor when we have strep throat. I mean, why aren't 
we or the employers, because healthcare, most of it, I think 60% of uh, in what is covered in America comes to our employers. Mm. And there's a new movement where employers, uh, both medium and large, are doing what we call self-pay healthcare. In other words, they're just paying out of pocket for the incidences that people have, you know, it needing the medical care system. Mm. Now, imagine if we took an employer, and, and this has been done in hospitals and school districts, if we took a, and other big employers, um, there's a, there's a place called Gasparilla down in Florida, and there's a conference that's there, I think, every other year. And this uh, Gasparilla, it's a big resort, they started doing self-pay, not using one of the BUCAs, one of the big insurance companies. They used what they call a benefits manager, who's someone who comes along and sets up their own network in a community. And they, they set up the network for the pharmacies, for physicians. Uh, they make deals with hospitals, with uh, places to get labs, to get studies, radiology, so on and so forth. And what they're doing is they're going and getting the lowest possible price for their employer that they're working for. So when they're doing this, um, hold on one second. Honey, I'm on a podcast. Steve? Sorry about that. <laughs> you think you'd be used to this by now when the study door is closed, right? <laughs> so I should hang a sign. So when you start looking at healthcare this way, you're cutting out those big insurance companies. And then there's a lot of transparent pass-through pharmacy benefit managers because you do need someone who pays the pharmacy, right? But you don't need the big PBM. You can use a smaller PBM. They did this uh, with PBMs alone, with the pharmacy benefits in my school district in Pennsylvania. Right before the pandemic started, the president of the school board approached me and she said, I've been reading all your stuff on PBMs and drug shortages because I have cancer. And uh, we fired CVS Caremark and we hired a transparent pharmacy benefit manager and we saved about a million dollars a year in our school district. We have a big school district here. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Now do the same for the insurance companies. And then COVID happened and we all got caught behind. But, you know, I look in my county, we could take our school district who could just take the money that they now pay, I believe they're covered by Aetna, to Aetna. And they could instead get a benefits manager who would set up a network with the local hospitals that we have and with some local physicians. I mean, I know physicians in this area that own their own practices. I know um, there's surgery centers in this area and, you know, a full conflict of interest. My husband, he's a surgeon, a head and neck surgeon, and they work in a surgery center, but they keep their costs lower in some cases for some procedures than some of the hospitals, there, there should be that competition there where people know what the cost is at the hospital. They know what it is at the surgery center and the employer could make, make the change there. We need to reimagine this idea. You know, I, I feel as though this idea, um, and this was said by a friend to me, uh, Dr. Marilyn Singleton, and I, you know, I've, she was 100% right. This idea that, oh, insurance companies are taking all the money. Let's just make Medicare for all. That is a lazy answer. It's a lazy answer because you're saying, let someone else take care of it. Yeah. The let someone else take care of it mentality is what got us here in the first place. So it's not a miracle when we cure. Said, Medicare for yeah. all. It's not going to well, fix all of our problems. Term, 
I don't think so. I mean, yeah. look, we have Medicaid and Medicaid is run by the insurance companies. Go look up what's happening in Ohio. Ohio Medicaid discovered that they were getting pretty much robbed by their own P- the, the big PBMs because, you know, the states hire out the insurance companies or PBMs to cover their patients. You know, so like the government is like contracting with the very people that we're complaining about. So I, honestly, why would we trust the government to do this better than us doing it? So instead of, and I, I, Bernie Sanders is right. It all costs too much. Elizabeth yeah. Warren is right. There's too many corporates involved in all of this. But the answer is not, oh, just let us take over. Because the us that is the government on both sides of the aisle has been colossally messing this up for years. Mm-hmm. Go away. You've done enough. Instead, we should be having communities of people yeah, that, you know, create. Yes, yes. So, you know, if people want to use the term single payer, great. Let the American people become the single payer. As long as they can see what they're paying, they can see the conflicts of interest, they can cut the glut out of the system, and they can make everyone in the system play by the same rules. This could work out great. Let's go. Giddy up. I agree. Our our communities should be stronger in many regards, in lots of different areas. We should have have stronger community centers. We um, We should be closer to our food supply. Um, and of course, you know, the, the states and communities should be looking at how we can improve healthcare so that it's not, you know, outsourced miles away. Um, if I've gone to the doctor and I'll get um, a bill from three states over and that doesn't even make any sense, but some, something about the billing is from a different state. It's just crazy. It doesn't, it makes no sense at all. I'll get random bills in the mail. Dr. Mary Mass, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, lots of value you packed into this. Um, I'm going to get all this listed here. You can find her links down below in the comments. Uh, where can they find you on Twitter? Oh, I am at Mass Underline Marion. Gotcha. And I'm also on LinkedIn on Marion Mass. And uh, I, I I, just go by me. You know, I, I'm, I'm not one of those people that has the clever little name and, uh, <laughs> you know, hiding behind the name kind of thing. It's just, I'm me. This is who it is. This is who you're getting. And yeah, I'm going to call out the AARP and sometimes the AMA and sometimes my own profession. And I, I also, you know, I have to say, like, just get ready. I guess, uh, you know, I I might be hitting some of these corporates with a blowtorch, but dang it, they deserve it. And, you know, let's just get over ourselves because healthcare is sucking so much money out of the American system. If we don't fix this, we'll wreck our economy. We'll wreck our future. Number and one cause of bankruptcy, medical bills. Everyone, yep. Everyone listening to this. If you have a child or a grandchild, you should care about this. And we should care about those people that hold those big medical bills. Little shout out to my friend. I need to give him a call. Uh, Jerry Ashton at RIP Medical Debt. He's been buying up the medical debt and forgiving it. And that's great. But like I've hmm. said to Jerry, and he agrees. Wow. If we made healthcare less expensive, he wouldn't have so much work to do. And last thought is, you know what, America? You better get and stay healthy because all this work that a lot of other people and myself are doing to try to open the books, cut the glut, and make everyone play by the same rules. It might not work. We're David fighting Goliath, yeah. you know, and it's a big Goliath out there and we need we need lots of warriors to help. Yeah. We need yeah. and all we have is our people, health. But like that's all yes, we have. And stones. You know? yeah. D- yeah. Yes. David has stones too. So I got some stones. <laughs> we'll keep we'll keep throwing we'll brother, keep finding people to throw rocks at. Okay. So all right. 
Dr. Marion, I appreciate you coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, James. Take care.